Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of the Think Tank for Women in Business and Technology and the FemPIC platform with the mission of raising women's socioeconomic status. Our guest today is one of those out-of-the-box thinkers whose perspective I found super interesting. Yona Welker has worked in the intersection of technology and society since 2005, when they launched a hardware think tank. As an individual who identifies as non-binary, they've had a fascinating journey. Yona founded and co-created a number of tech startups and labs, helped facilitate tech ecosystems throughout North America and Europe, screened over 2,000 teams, and contributed to projects in the ethics of AI and sustainability at European Commission. They guided and screened the world's youngest tech and AI inventors, as well as talent from Google Womenpreneurs and leaders from Oprah Academy and African Leadership Academy, to name a few. So here's my conversation with Yona Welker. Um, so Yona, I'm reading a book right now. Uh, it's called The Alignment Problem. It's, it's about how algorithms may not be aligned with our values and how hard it is to convey to an algorithm exactly what we have in mind, what we want to achieve. It gives examples of when we had neural networks, the development of that algorithm, where there was examples of where they would put in, say, man plus hospital, something like this, man plus hospital minus woman, and the algorithm would say nurse. So it wouldn't give you, for example, female doctor, you know, or a female physician. These are the kind of examples that there's so many examples of this when it comes to uh, gender, race, neurodiversity, all of the different uh, ways that, that humans are different that I think is very hard to convey all of that to an algorithm. And so, so you mentioned the word uh, algorithmic diversity. So can you tell me more about what that is? and what you are doing, the work that you're doing around that. Um, yes. First of all, I would love to connect my answer um, to the phrase you shared just a few minutes ago about travels. You said that uh, you emphasize to people who have no ability to travel. It's a very interesting comment which um, I could use in order to demonstrate it. Significant part of my work is the work in this talent. And in my questionnaire, I typically ask young people, it's like uh, from 18 years old to 22, uh, what kind of a goals you would love to achieve. And many of young people, specifically women, they uh, mentioned that they'd love to uh, visit at least 50 countries or 60 countries or these places or these places, because for them is a source of experiences. And from at tech perspective, experiences uh, is a one of the um, significant difference we have today. Just a few years ago, people uh, pay for content, but now we would love to pay for experiences, for virtual reality uh, or some kind of uh, experiencing uh, working with mentor of a collaborative environment. And at the same time, content become open source like uh, Wikipedia. So people looking for experiences, but the problem is that experiences are very different. For, for me, as a neurodiverse person, experience is the ability to get more data. 
And I don't care if I visit the place or I read in Wikipedia. And my happiness and the source of a higher level of dopamine is to get more sources of data at the same time, is how I feel it. And I feel uh, happy myself. At the same time, I'm not able to get any kind of emotion when I, vi I visit Greece or uh, um, some kind of uh, architecture from Roman Empire, ancient Italy. It's uh, almost zero emotions for me. But because I'm not looking for images or maybe visual thing, I'm looking for a different sources of validated data and I love to read and consume it. It's the way how my brain works. It's a kind of a neurodiverse type of uh, my ability. We can imagine, which is driven by the fact that I have some differences, my maybe frontal lobes, because typically they are related to empathy, to visu visualization and other things. And I have some differences on MRI. It means what we need to have a different type of technologies to deliver experiences. Maybe for you, we need a educational technology with mostly focus on visual content, storytelling, uh, VR. At the same time for people, for me, maybe we need minimalistic platform what we use mostly kind of a uh, black and white list with the text formulas and very structured way to deliver information uh, as soon as possible uh, for different flows. It's just a kind of example. And we have such examples for different kinds of uh, elements of our life, well-being, happiness, relationships, learning, we, we, how we explore things, how we understand things, how we make friends, how we study each other. For instance, some people love to make relationship from some kind of a social games, flirting. And it is the way how we build, for instance, dating platforms or applications. Some people like me prefer to literally analyze people <laughs> as data. So it's a new, it's a different kind of a dating platforms or apps we need. So algorithmic diversity on one hand is better to understand what is the individual diversity is and how people actually different, not only in group level, but in individual level. Because if we go in from a neuroscience perspective, we see that people are much more different on individual level, level than from racial, country, ethnic, even your neighbor, you can be completely different. Even if you uh, were born in the same place, in the same country, can be completely different. And I felt it in my personal life when I found like-minded people in Nigeria, in US, in UK, in Italy, in South America. At the same time, I felt myself completely kind of alien in the place where I was born. So algorithmic diversity, both from research perspective is ability to build a foundation of a neuroscience research from venture perspective is a building startups aligned to this research and technology perspective is a building algorithms machine learning artificial intelligence robotics were able to actually implement it in real life application Oh, very interesting. So from one neurodiverse person to another neurodiverse person, because with neurodiversity, it's, it's always a spectrum, isn't it? It's not like one thing. You can't explain it with one. I've been labeled as somebody who has ADHD. 
um, you know, I'm hyperactive, I um, had difficulty focusing, you know, that was the source of a lot of pain growing up, um, you know, at school, my parents thinking that I would never amount to anything. I managed to go on to do two master's degrees, you know, I was actually doing a PhD, the only reason why I didn't finish it was because I ran out of money, I couldn't pay for the last year. So I handed my thesis as an MPhil. Now I've written a book, I've had a a really successful documentary i'm building this business there's another business you know so so like i've gone on to achieve all these things but the way that very much like you said you know you go to a place and you don't maybe feel the subjective feeling that maybe other people have about traveling i feel kind of the same it's not that i don't have the ability to appreciate different cultures and different um, places, maybe not to the same degree as you, but I'm also kind of like a bit more black and white, you know, and the, the kind of things that really interest me, like, for example, my ideal, like relaxation is to sit in bed and practice math, you know, <laughs> you know, like if I have like a day off, you know, I'd like, I'd sit, you know, in my pajamas all day and I just like, practice, you know, linear algebra and, and, you know, teach myself Python or something like that, you know, people always find that very strange. But at the same time, when you go into different walks of life, like, for example, when you're looking at healthcare, when you're looking at education, it is so difficult for humans to be able to actually, you know, put themselves into the shoes of the other person. The ironic thing is that we talk about emotional intelligence as being a human trait. But sometimes I wonder whether an algorithm may be able to better cater to all these types of neurodiverse forms of existence if we are able to, I don't want to say program it, if we are able to teach the algorithm to learn, to interact and to understand our diversity. So in a kind of weird way, I'm trying to say that, and I, and I want to ask you this question, do you think that possibly algorithms could be better at understanding? I know that you know, whatever understanding means for an algorithm, you know, you could argue that the algorithm cannot feel, um, but, but do you think that the algorithms will be able to better understand neurodiversity. Because I think that humans find it very hard. Like, you know, in my relationships, in my, you know, with my family, friends, partners, all that sort of thing, it's always been so difficult to explain the way that I think and feel. Sometimes I just wonder whether one day I may be able to have an easier conversation with Siri, you know, or Alexa, you know, if, if they are advanced enough to understand where exactly in this spectrum I am and to understand that when you are on that spectrum it changes it's not like you know throughout your life depending on the kind of experiences that you have it changes like for me as a woman you know and we talked about it uh, during the conference is that as a woman even during the month it changes the way that you feel, it goes up and down, what happens with the hormones, and that affects your well-being and, and you know, the way that you think, your creativity, all of those things. So I don't know, I have a lot of hope. I feel like perhaps algorithms may do a better job of 
um, catering to no neurodiverse people, not just women, but especially women, because women have another layer of complexity because of the all the different things that they go through in their lives. And I remember talking to to a man, um, psychologist about this, and it was like part of the reason we don't understand women, their neurodiverse backgrounds as they go through all these different stages of life is because it's just too complex. So people give up on and they don't study it well enough. But I wonder whether artificial intelligence will enable us to finally capture capture those neurodiverse experiences and help us understand how to deal with them. What do you think? Um, it's a very good question, and my answer will be pretty complex. Um, first of all, I spent almost 15, 16 years uh, in technology world, and I still consider myself a technology explorer. And I would say the most problems uh, we have in not technology, uh, in not technology progress, and not in algorithms, but uh, in uh, social uh, progress. I believe social progress of current society uh, is uh, much behind technology progress. And technology is able technically uh, deliver most of the um, things we would love to deliver, but we just uh, have no correct understanding what actually we would love to get. Let's talk about uh, women. If we create a personalized product of women, uh, we need to add data sets and machine learn to machine learning. But in order to do that, we have a product team or design team or a technical team who define what is a woman. Okay, so we, we have some kind of a criteria of women. Women is a, something with a feminine type of a character. Typically, she doesn't like extreme type of sport. She doesn't like metal music. It's our hypothesis because we have a standard vision of women and we created technology and we explore it doesn't work. It, it's not a woman. It's a, some kind of our fantasy about some kind of feminine uh, fantasy uh, queen, maybe it's in some, from some books. But in reality, we explore with women is a spectrum. Spectrum of characters, interest, dreams, ideas, here we understand we're not able to uh, define women. We need just an infinite amount of data sets in order to define it. There's some kind of a spectrum. Spectrum of a tendency to the sport, to the maybe Olympic weightlifting, not differently dances. And it's not about pop music or piano. It's about metal music or extreme music. If it's about career, it's not about some kind of a secondary roles. It's about uh, entrepreneurship, maybe even more aggressive type of entrepreneur, maybe in sales, financial sector. We have no idea. So why it happens? My first education related to social science and um, my interests were history and international relationships. And after my first education, I felt that that almost nobody actually cares about social science today. Everyone became engineers, programmers, they work in, in Google, Amazon, and even people who are, uh, get a philosophical education, social science, history education, and uh, liberal uh, arts way forced to become data scientists, become growth hackers, marketers, product designers, 
So everyone becomes someone who created product. Okay, it's okay. But who now define the meanings behind this product? The research, understanding of society, understanding of women, men, neurodiversity, brain. So we have a so amazing technology teams with data scientists who know how to vet data, how to analyze it, how create data sets, how to upload it to machine learning, how to create algorithms. But we have no foundation of knowledge. I mean, it's a completely interesting historical moment, but have enough information, but we lack knowledge, actually understanding of some things. We try to uh, make more and more products, more and more technologies, still using outdated information about uh, society, gender, people, and that's why we fail. And for instance, I spend my time and I'm a part of the data ethics and AI ethics community. One of the biggest uh, topics we had in recent year is a facial recognition problem, specifically related to women and people of color. Uh, statistically, about 30% of cases uh, is about error for women, for people of color. And again, we say, is it problem of uh, algorithms? But please, if we uh, go into deeper, we see that African women have a bit different faces. Uh, people from Jamaica, from Asia Pacific, it's a different pattern. So maybe you think about how, how you define women's face, for instance. No, you, you say like it's a problem of algorithms. No, it's a problem of knowledge. I mean, you even don't understand uh, how you define diversity, how you define gender, how you define the people of color. I mean, let's think about it. Let's, for instance, if we're talking about sexuality, we have a many discussion different between gender, sex. Some people say that uh, we have a spectrum. Some people say we have only two uh, genders and we still have no, the united uh, concept and the same with diversity. We have some kind of a dominance specifically from United States driven by some kind of politics agenda to skyrocket, make it very quickly, just because we need to promote some initiative. Initiative is a very good, but we need a bit more fundamental research in order to create a foundation of how we see it. Because I spend my time as a director of innovation lab one of the best startups is a result of technology transfer in universities like Oxford, Cambridge. We need to create a foundation of the research uh, in gender studies and ethnic studies, how we understand the uh, facial difference for women, Asian people, people from Africa, from Latin America. After that, uh, create a faculties with connect social scientists, historians, philosophers, ethnical experts and data scientists in order to connect this knowledge. And after that, put it in, 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 into criteria what we use for algorithms. So answering your question, I believe we're able to teach uh, technology to, to do everything, but the most difficult task is actually create the whole vertical. And that's exactly what we discussed over panel uh, we, uh, with you dedicated to women technology. We're not able to create women technology without women technology, uh, without hackathons where women and girls participate, 
where we actually have a voice, when we have a fundamental research, after that we have a faculties, we have a startups, we have a funds. It's a kind of a vertical. It works only in this way. It's not just a separate work of Google and Amazon, no. You said so many great things there. I mean, I made um, notes and there was just so many different things that I can go into. So one of the things you mentioned is like, you said that we need infinite data sets. The problem is that, so for example, when we talk about women, right, we need infinite data sets to understand women on so many level, levels. Yes, we need infinite data sets, but the problem is that the questions that you ask in order to get that data is often asked by men, historically. So when it comes to women, we are not asking the right questions. So we are starting with a bias, you know, because, because women are not in the decision-making process, they are not at the table. When decisions are made, when it comes to advertising, when it comes to any kind of creating any kind of product, you know, usually it's kind of like men have an image of women in their head and they create products and services with that image of what they want a woman to be, not what a woman actually is. And that's a problem. So I think to close that data gap, the only way, because it, this puts us in a chicken and egg position, to close that data gap, we need women at the table. But in order to get women to the table, we need women to educate in business and technology and get into those decision-making roles where those decisions are made. And the question is, how do we make that happen? One of the things is to try and get more women interested to begin with, more young women from, you know, girls at school to get them more interested in technology. If we wait for the um, educational systems, that's not going to happen anytime soon because the very foundations of these organizations are not built in a way to really prioritize this type of thing. They don't wake up in the morning thinking about, oh, we don't have enough women in technology. This is going to be a problem for our future. No, all they're thinking about is I want my students to get some good grades so that the parents are happy, um, you know, and then my job is done. So, so nobody is asking those fundamental questions. Nobody is thinking long term. With that in mind, I feel that we can't really rely on educational systems or governments. So then the question is, you know, as somebody who really cares about this, like I wake up every morning and think about that. And I think, what can I do to change this? And I've chosen not to have children um, because I think that the world is overpopulated, you know, I'd rather focus my energy on the people who are already here. I think that my energy is better used if I don't dedicate it to bringing up my own family and focus on these things. So I wonder what your suggestion is for people like me or for anybody who cares about this enough to say, I want to do something. I want to change the system and I want to get young women but not also not just young women, also older women. You know, I, I think like it's not really, um, you know, you can be in your 60s and 70s and like you can still learn and you can still do interesting things with your life. I don't put any kind of limit on my age. I'm like, you know, every day is like a new day and I'm always learning. 
But how can we encourage that when, in a, when we are living in a society that doesn't encourage that? Because, you know, social media, when you look at something like Instagram algorithms and um, you know, Facebook algorithms, all of these things, they are just optimized for clickbaits and, and they want to get people, women, men, you know, to spend their time on, sorry, bullshit, you know, like, like you know, things that are really not consequential for, uh, for our future, such as women training their butt. You know, in, you know, like everybody's squatting, you know, on, you go on, on, on Instagram. Why don't we see more things about women in technology? Why don't we see, you know, more images of women building businesses, innovation? I feel like social media is against us. The governments are technically by not taking action uh, and not prioritizing these things are against this trend. Um, the educational system is not in line with it. So what can we do? It's a very good question. And my answer uh, will include uh, several elements. First of all, I would love to mention what, what one of the biggest exploration I've done, it happened about one year ago. Uh, we spent a hackathon driven by MIT between Palestine and Israel. It was a before COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And this hackathon was spanned completely remotely uh, through Zoom. I'm talking about this example. Uh, we spanned a, a collaborative initiative dedicated to future of healthcare, education, overcrowdedness in hospitals between uh, countries which were in war many centuries, between uh, tribes, between interest, historical conflict, and we were able to make a peaceful dialogue using only Zoom. So we completely ignored politics. We ignored some kind of a significant investments. We completely ignored any kind of approaches which were used before. We just used Zoom, young people, and hackathons. Currently, most of um, hackathons you um, spent remotely for Slack. And if you uh, go into the internet, you will able to find many uh, channels dedicated to the future of learning and to anti-COVID-19 technologies. And people use only Slack to find like-minded people and create some stuff. Without venture funding, using just a collaborative efforts, crowdfunding, hackathons, communities, meetups, and so on. I'm from the US, UK, we find someone in the Africa, we connect, we create something. I'm a part of the ecosystem what's called Unit Ventures. We created, it's one of my projects, they are dedicated to unit economy. And we defined that we don't plan to build a Silicon Valley. We created villages on Bali. It's another approach. And we don't use venture capital, we use a cryptocurrency is another approach. We just ignored venture capital. One of the key problems we have today, then we try to discuss existing system and inclusion. What's the main problem about inclusion? We discussed it just a few weeks ago on the, another UK podcast, it's called Abundance. And I said, and it's this idea, one of my peers, uh, her name uh, Yip, and she focused on mindfulness. We agreed that we should talk about zero exclusion, not about inclusion, because inclusion is your right on the permission. I lead the game, 
and I provide you with the permission to participate in my game. So I create a venture capital and I say, oh, we have, there's not enough women, black people, let's make some permissions for you, like a 5%, 10%, in uh, the way how I want it, but it's still my game. I'm still the winner. If we go into the, if you like mathematics, if you like no game theory, if you know transactional theory, you know, if you have a more awareness about the game, you always will win. And you're a passive player in the game, someone who get this permission. And you always uh, will be in a really comfortable position. So my main idea is to completely reimagine how you see uh, this thing. Uh, recently, I explored a very interesting case of um, how we are able to deal with technology. I explored a musician from Canada, her name Angie C, and she used her brain and brain uh, biofeedback technology in order to create music directly uh, managing and controlling synthesizer. So she didn't use a keyboard, guitars, just her brain. Okay, so it's a kind of a completely different way how we see music. Maybe we need, we don't need instruments. We only need our brain. So my main message, we should focus on creating our own ecosystems. Maybe women don't need technology world. Maybe we don't need data science in the way how it exists. Maybe women would love to see some kind of a combination of data, art, social science, or something in between, I don't know, maybe completely different kind of ecosystem with different logic, with, uh, with different type of a participation. Because for me, I believe this current technology world is completely wrong. I mean, you mentioned very interesting moment about Facebook. We live in, in, the, in the world of a filter bubble. We have a too much information on some kind of a micro moments. So we're not able to focus on macro level. And macro level, we explore a very interesting thing. Let's go to the 1960. 1960, it's the moment that people are already gone to the space. Then people are just a, a created in Stanford experiment related to the uh, internet. And people already had a, um, engines we currently use in Tesla. So it, it wasn't invented. It's actually a technology from the past. So now we go into the 2020. We have a Snapchat, Facebook, and people who are watching uh, cats on YouTube. Do you think it's really kind of a progress, social progress? No. I mean, do you think it's something wrong, this technology world? I mean, I'm trying to be in touch with the technologists like MIT or Oxford. You can imagine how very good scientists struggle to get funding for medical devices, for assistive devices, for disability technology. At the same time when another very simple digital health stuff that actually doesn't help anyone, another heart rate or something like that, analyzer, get another billion, actual thing which able to analyze your brain or something like that, not able to get this money because it's about long-term investments is about ability to get more into this technology from, uh, from empathy perspective, from a social perspective. It's a different kind of mindset. As you mentioned, if your ecosystem driven by, let's call it white male, it's very simplified vision, but let's call it in this way. Yes, we have a, some kind of filter bubble uh, of the vision and the recreation it again, again, again. 
So we only have a one way. It's completely useless to try to change it. We just need to create a competition of ecosystems. And the main idea of algorithmic diversity is creation personalized in very specific markets. Markets focused on autism, markets focused on, on women, in the whole vertical, starting in the way how we see education, hackathons, uh, creating of technology. Maybe in the whole technology transfer process should be different for, for these people, for these people. I think it, it's uh, much closer to the tradition of Renaissance in Europe when we had a lot of creators and people like uh, Da Vinci who create some stuff in a particular way. Uh, we really try to globalize everything. In the end, we have just one vision of everything, but it doesn't work. Just look at the pandemic, COVID-19. Before pandemic, everyone said like, uh, we have an AI for drug research. We have an AI for smart cities. We have an AI for uh, awareness and uh, people informing in, in case of some uh, situation like this. It didn't work. The US is the number one country in terms of the people who die from COVID-19. The country with the biggest level of penetration of technology in the world, with Silicon Valley. It's useless, it's useless. I mean, we just need to stop to think about it. In this uh, October, I spent a session in Germany to dedicate it to systemic change and, and what the organizers recently shared a very important message. Sometimes we need to stop to be too sensitive because change is not only about changing what we already have, but also about elimination and erasing something that's actually wrong. We should be brave enough to say with this, it doesn't work. We need to eliminate it for like a harassment like uh, predators, like uh, financial bubbles, like if Ferranus and from Silicon Valley, it's not just not okay, no, uh, it's a criminal actions. It's like we have an AI ethics uh, now. It's like we have an anti-fraud commission and European commission. We have a significant level of uh, corruption in technology. It's not about direct uh, spending money. No, it's about some kind of a levels of not efficient investments, some uh, not really technology, technology companies. It's how it exists now. And we should fight it. We should talk about it. We should create completely different type of alternative in crowdfunding, in research, in technology, and specialized uh, ecosystems. And yes, women technology is a one of the vertical we should create from the, the complete bottom because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah, definitely. You know, I consider myself a bit, a bit of an, an anarchist. I don't know. I have a beef with institutions, you know, be it governments, be it, you know, in uh, educational systems. These are organizations that create problems so that then they can solve it, you know, for, for people to then say that they have a reason to exist. And from that point of view, um, I feel like we need to break them. Technology is one of the ways in which we can do that. But it requires people having the drive to educate themselves because traditionally we've been thinking about education in terms of you go to school and you learn what the modules, whatever it is that you're given. And once you pass that, you take that box and you say, I'm now educated in this so and so but actually for example when i got my mphil in uh, political 
philosophy and philosophy of science. After that, I learned so much more, you know, because I spent so much more educating myself. And I feel like kind of limitations that is put on the way that you're supposed to think and the way that you're supposed to write and communicate in an educational environment like, you know, a university it's just so snobbish and so uh, rigid and limited that doesn't allow for the kind of creative output that you would have in a social media kind of environment. And that's one of the things that's kind of good about social media that you can, you know, or, or say like blogging and, and vlogging and, you know, this kind of long form conversation. The problem though is, as humans, I feel like we don't have, majority of us don't have that inner discipline to say that if I'm not going to be relying on an educational system, on a curriculum, then can I create that for myself? Can I educate myself? Or can I, how can I provide an environment for my, you know, if you had children, for my child to be able to educate in a way that could be potentially more valuable than what spending thousands of pounds or thousands of dollars to send them to a, a university just so that they can come out with this certificate. I guess the question is, how can we, and you gave this answer to some degree with the hackathons, with, with like the collaborations, but I just feel that it's not enough. I feel like we still need some form of leadership, some new form of structure which is much more fluid, but there is still some form of structure. Because one of the biggest problems of breaking down old structures is if we don't have a replacement for it, people will, will find it difficult to find their way. You know, there are people who are really self, self-centric, self, you know, dri- self-driven, and they find their way one way or the other, but they're a minority. Majority of society need some kind of guidance. The problem with all of these, having these little pockets of movements, that's part of the reason why with this movement, I'm very ambitious with, with it. And I'm like, I love that idea of zero exclusion as opposed to inclusion. I just really love that. I think it's such a great way of putting it. I'm definitely gonna use it in my content and wherever I talk about it and and uh, mention you but I'm like with this I was like at the very least if I target women that's like half the planet <laughs> you know like that's that's a big movement how do we then get as many people as interested how do we make it kind of democratic so that people can have their say of course people are still not gonna always agree on on things but Somehow, I feel the answer to the public institutions does lie in the new, you know, like in social media and things like that. But the, 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 the new form of social media that we have is not optimized. We are now, we are now in a position that we need to create the na- next wave, the next iteration of social media. And I think it's so important to have women at the forefront of that, because whatever we've had so far, you know, the, whether it's in institutions, whether it's in uh, the form of Silicon Valley-led uh, social media, it's all driven by men, and it's mostly driven by white men. So you did mention that maybe women don't need 
technology in that traditional sense. But, but somebody still has to code and somebody still has to create, um, you know, these infrastructures definitely do need women. And, and I'm just trying to imagine what a new iteration of the current form of social media that we have um, is possible. And one of the best examples of it for me, which is not considered social media side, but one of the best examples of it is Wikipedia. Because I, what I like about Wikipedia is that, you know, you go to Wikipedia, you find what you're looking for, you're given potential leads to other things that you could look at. But it's very simple. It's not like hijacking your brain. It's not, you know, I find it with a lot of social media channels. It's like I go in and I want to post something. My eyes are going a hundred different places because it's just designed to be completely hijacking your brain. And I have to exert actual power to say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend time. I'm just going to post what I want to post and get out because otherwise I will be dragged into a black hole. But not many people have that necessary the power to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, you know, maybe they don't have the awareness that they are being hijacked. You know, that's why in my book, I talk about critical thinking. I think part of the solution to that is creating new iterations of these channels that are more ethically driven. And, and you know, I think it's ethic, ethically wrong to create products that are that you know are going to hypnotize people, that are going to get people to hooked and get them to to stay there because you know you're hacking people's attention by providing them with things that are sexually driven or you know power driven, you know, things that you know on an instinctual level is going to capture that person's mind. So I'd be interested to hear your opinion on what a future iteration of the kind of social channels that we have now could look like. Have you thought about that? Is this something that maybe you have worked on? I would love to answer all of these uh, questions and comments you have made. First of all, I would love to mention that the problem is much bigger than just in presence, for instance, uh, male in the Silicon Valley and any kind of an ecosystem. If we're talking about a society, is it some kind of a mechanism? It's like a hardware. At the same time, ethics is like a software. The mindset and culture we have is a kind of a live upon. It's where it's spread to universal way. And no matter what kind of a gender of a racial representative we put in this system, it will act in this way. In other words, if we put Sheryl Sandberg in Facebook, she acts like a white male in a very simplified way. She completely shared the same masculine behavior because it's a part of this culture. We call we can call it like a bra clap, Silicon Valley clap, or in any other way. It's how a system typically works. And no matter what kind of a representation built and all this works the same because it's the same kind of a culture ethics we have in this hardware and software is the first thing. Second thing, you mentioned that you anarchist. Mm, I would say uh, not differently. Maybe it's just a natural uh, feeling you have in yourself. Uh, let me explain. From evolutional perspective, there are two types uh, of individuals. Someone who use their own hands to feed yourself and someone who use someone's hand to feed. So you always 
follower of a leader. From evolutional perspective, someone who follow always lose. The fact that people exist and humanity exists and they actually try to dominate the nature. We try to fend themselves. We never use other species as the leaders and we never follow them. Dogs follow you as a master. One of the problems we have today, we're trying to think about some kind of the universal good, but life is not about good, it's about pragmatic decisions. If we need to do something, we should do something. If we lead something, we should lead something. We should erase something completely, it's our decision. One of the key things how to motivate people to be actually involved is actually perspective, but we always uh, make a choice between freedom and safety. In the past, my mom was a victim of very severe domestic uh, violence, and my father um, almost killed her. And it was a very traumatic part of my life. After some period of time, she said, and we agreed, it happened because at some point of her life, she made a choice uh, that safety some kind of a, I would love to keep my current relationships. I don't want to abandon my children. It's a kind of a safe option. I don't want to risk to change my life because it's not safe. And I would love to sell my freedom for a more safe life. But in the end, it almost led your life to the death. I mean, with how it typically happened, then we make our choice related to safety in the end, we spend much more time, much more resources, health, opportunities, and that's why uh, one of the biggest trends we have today, we have many talks about decentralization, but uh, basically it's not just a trend in terms of a technology, it's an actual social trend we have in society. Our world become much more atomized. Just go to a Twitter, just an example, like a Justin Bieber, he has a 100 million followers. It's a bigger than population of some countries. So influencers aggregates more traffic and followers than some countries. So actually we live in the period of a universal communities where everyone is able to become uh, influencers, source of a traffic, the platform. Uh, if you go to the music industry, you explore with some musician, not only creating music, we invest money in streaming platforms. We create the own platforms and experiences how we would love to see it. I already shared example with NGC. She sees the music as a, a biofeedback control of a synthesizer, is her vision. My opinion, and that's what we already see, we face the moment of the universal decentralization, atomization of a people, and uh, the, the time when we face much more micro-influencers who become not only the people on the social media, but they become investors, they become a founders of the funds, like uh, one of the examples from my uh, network, when uh, one of my peers uh, founded a venture platform that exclusively focused on autism and investments in these startups. It's just a person and a few angel investors, and they created initiative that involved more angel investors in this field. It's a completely personal driven initiative, not some kind of a, a huge uh, initiative driven by Sequoia Capital or something like that. And I believe we will see much more examples like this, influencers, platforms, and people who try to solve particular uh, problems. And, and hopefully we already have a technology for that. 
as a reason, actually, Slack became so popular. People don't want to live in a filter bubble anymore. Uh, they're really uh, fed up with the Facebook algorithms in the way that they always feed this some type of a content that considered as a better, but it's uh, just uh, more engaging, but not engaging in the normal way, in the engaging from instinct perspective, like a sex, like a, some kind of a, uh, become richer, become a more successful, and, and so on. It's a, just a manipulation. And there's a good movie about that, like a social uh, dilemma with actually exploring the way how it typically happens. So yes, we will see much more example of such platforms. By the way, uh, since you mentioned anarchy, uh, I spent a podcast with the, one of the former creators of Twitter who was in technology team. And currently he, he's, he's working on the centralized uh, social network uh, completely out of cloud. Who is, who is that? Because I'm usually interested in uh, Ivan Henshaw Plath. So yes, we have uh, many people who are in the same mission and hopefully we have many more products, channels, platforms, and movement, micro-movements. I would love to, to speak with him if, uh, you know, if you can ask whether yes. um, I can interview him because it sounds very interesting. Okay, well, I mean, we could go on forever. This is, a, this is such a fascinating concept. One thing I ask you, you know, maybe ask the last question, and then I'll, I'll see if you have anything you want to add that maybe we didn't cover. I mean, I know that we didn't cover, there's so much to cover, and I think we will have many conversations. Um, but do you think that we are actually moving more towards a decentralized world? Do you think that's, that's what's going to happen? And do you think that the current institutions that we have and big corporations will allow that to happen? Um, it's a very interesting question. First of all, uh, due to my work, I'm trying to be in touch with uh, universities in different countries. And one of the explorations um, I've made, they try to be in touch with everything that happened in the technology world. For instance, most of the United States universities use a very open CRM for employers. So anyone is able to almost directly pick the tail and participate in different stuff. So they actually try to embrace the open source movement, specifically the top universities. And the, and the fact that almost everyone now able to pick for free many courses from Harvard, from MIT, it's just amazing, is a kind of a evidence with at least some parts of the people who work in this institution understand the level of change. Uh, they understand they're not able to completely close is a kind of a, a closed clap, Ivy League clap. We need to give it away for free to some parts of it because we just stop the progress, because we know there are some very talented people beyond the US or UK who have no money for paper knowledge. But we know with this some point, these people maybe become our mentors, entrepreneurs. I mean, you see the person like this. I had no money for Harvard education. I, I get it almost for free for uh, remote learning. And after that, our startup uh, participate in MIT competition. I became a judge in this ecosystem from external world. And MIT and Harvard know this. They know there are many talented people who would love to contribute this ecosystem. So my answer that the leading ecosystem will try to embrace this mindset, at least in some part. 
corporate world will still resist, uh, I believe. So my opinion, it will be pretty long-term competition until we will see actual decentralization of this mindset. Hopefully, and I always have a, have a hope, uh, universities, academia world currently are drivers of this change. One of the best, uh, I mentioned it over our panel, one of the best decentralization open source projects driven completely for free by some kind of academic people from Canada. For instance, we're a project dedicated to open source science, where anyone able to upload your research or share it with others, even without education. And it's driven by people who just are passionate about it. People from some faculties. We have these people and they understand the change. So yes, but competition will be, will be pretty close in the long term. That's very interesting conversation. And I, I just really hope that in this new decentralized world, women will find their, vo their voice because this is an opportunity to educate yourself in a new way, in a way that traditionally has not been possible because the structure of these institutions has been built on a male, especially white male kind of model. So I think decentralization is definitely good for women. And I, I just really hope to encourage more women. You know, I use the term anarchy very loosely. Obviously, anarchy has a negative meaning. And, and the problem with anarchy is that then you maybe don't have the kind of infrastructure to deal with big global problems in a way that, although now that we do have the infrastructure, look at how, how well pandemic, how the, well the pandemic has been managed. Not really, right? So like I say, you know, I use the term very loosely. My point is that in order to start something new, we need to break what is not working. We need to break down. It goes back to that, what you said about zero exclusion as opposed to inclusion. Because if I'd rather, you know, I prefer the model of zero exclusion because then it's not about somebody still winning. Whereas uh, when you talk about inclusion, if it's like if you're waiting for governments and organizations to change their quota and say like, you know, we want to include you, it's a little bit like, then they're still the winner. It's a bit like being in a casino. You know, the house is still winning. So the, everybody else is playing. Some people may win, some people may lose, but the house is always the winner. The solution is to break the house break that model. And I, I really hope to encourage and inspire more women and more people of diverse backgrounds, diverse genders, really speak up and um, educate themselves and join these movements. Thank you so much, Yona. And if there's anything else that you think we haven't covered or any final words, anything you want to tell people about your work, where to find you, please do share that so that people know how to follow your work. Yes, one of the final uh, messages I would love to share. Recently, I had many talks with people related to technology, world specifically to uh, education and medical fields. And one of the key explorations I made for myself, we face a very fascinating moment in terms of uh, uh, how we 
able to involve people of different backgrounds. If we go into schools, now uh, educators, and not just educators, we're partly engineers because we will use AI, social robots. At the same time, if we go to hospital, nurses also embrace the skills related to technology. For instance, we had a talk to women who uh, led the Association of Nurses in the United States. She spent almost uh, three or four decades in this industry, and she shared with me how they educated the new generation of uh, medical uh, staff about how to do with technology, how to balance empathy, human uh, element, and technology, talking to people, how we able to balance automation and some kind of a double check principle in order to avoid bias of technology uh, and some kind of a filter bubble as well. So I would love to say everyone who will uh, hear the, and listen to this uh, podcast, no matter what type of a uh, background you have, social science, liberal arts, creative art, business, or something like that, you're able to become a part of this ecosystems because it is a moment which we need not only uh, data scientists or engineers, we need social scientists, we need ethical professionals, companies like Twitter or Amazon looking for professionals who will participate in ethics and criteria creation in these companies. So even though we're not able to go into zero exclusion just right now, we are able to at least to train some skills in Amazon before we uh, start to break these companies. I'm really encourage you to not to be depressed, not to feel like we have no uh, ecosystem. We are able to at least get experience right here, right now. We have a, we have a, a hackathons. We have a different Slack channels. We have a almost completely free uh, courses. We are able to get a EDX and Harvard. So please participate. And in terms of how it follow my work, uh, typically I say if you're a technology world. There are high chances which we face each other because if you're in 500s, typically you will face me. If you're in INSEED in Singapore, you will face me. If your startup participate in European Commission funding, in most cases, um, I will meet you specifically. It's related to education. And even if you're Middle East or Africa, I'm often involved in hackathons where. So just to start to create something, and we meet each other and I spend maybe mentor session for you due to some hackathon, some program, even though maybe you're very young or you're a major one, uh, I spend my time in very different ecosystems. Thank you so much, Yana. It's been great talking to you. Very good. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jona Welker. This was definitely one of my favorite conversations, as it's always nice to hear from someone with a unique perspective. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite channels. And don't forget to give it a five star and write a review. You can also find the full video of these conversations on my YouTube channel. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Clubhouse at Somi Ariad. Finally, if you're not a member of Fempeak yet, head over to fempeak.ai, register and join the community that actively supports women.